They applauded at the first service. You didn't. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Jake, uh, which my mother would never call me because my full name is Larry Wayne Jacobs. And uh, I don't want to bore you with all the details, but I gave myself my nickname. I gave myself. Hardly anybody gives themselves their nickname, but I grew up in a farm in southwestern Minnesota. And uh, if you take my last name, Jacobs, J-A-C-O-B-S, the last four are cobs. We used to shell corn, take the cobs, and soak up cow manure with them. My nickname in high school was Cobbs. It was humiliating. So when I went to college, I said, what's your name? I said, Jake. But mom, she never bought any of that. I was Larry. Unless she was mad. And then I was Larry Wayne. And if I was really bad, I got the full meal deal. Larry Wayne Jacobs. So, that's who I am, but today, uh, in kind of a special, unique way, honestly now, not contrived, I'm Bonnie's son. I'm one of four boys, I'm third in the birth order, and I'm Bonnie's son. It's interesting, I'm 61 years old, I lost my mom five and a half years ago, it'll be six this fall. Uh, I just find myself kind of discovering how much of who I am is mom. Now, of course, part of it is dad, but how much of who I am is mom? Uh, this blob of land I have for a nose, straight from mom. She liked to uh, write, communicate. I like that. I find myself more and more reflecting on how much she sacrificed. Because, you see, my mom never worked outside the home. She made us four boys her full-time responsibility. I don't see that so much anymore these days. And you know, they say everyone has their 15, what is it, 15-minute claim to fame? I don't know if anybody would be able to tell you what I'm about to tell you about my mom's 15-minute claim to fame. Because here it is. When we were kids, we were churchgoers. Every time the lights were on, we were at church. It was a little country church, southwestern Minnesota. It was called Indian Lake Baptist Church. It was a conservative place. They believed in heaven and hell, and they believed in the gospel, and they definitely believed in fire and brimstone evangelists who would swing through in the summertime, kind of the sawdust trail. And I'll never forget when a particular evangelist, who I won't remember him or his name, but I remember he was full of hellfire and brimstone, and he was trying to get people to the front for the altar call, and he just reminded all of us if we weren't right with Jesus and died tonight in a fiery car crash on the way home, we would go to hell. 
And you know, the hell part of it wasn't even the scary part for me. The scary part was I'd be separated from mom. I knew she wasn't going there. And so, instead of responding to the altar call, I snuck out the back back door, down through the lobby, down to the basement of the church, a little country church, and I went in the furnace room, and I hid behind the ping pong table. (laughs) And I started to sob and ask Jesus to save my soul. And I kept saying it over and over, and I was pretty sure he couldn't hear me from the depths of the furnace room. And then I remember that eight-mile drive home in the dark that night. Talkative Larry hardly said a word. I was glad we made it home without a fiery car crash. I remember going to bed and uh, saying the prayer over and over. Oh, God, please save me. Please save me. Please save me. But I was pretty sure he wasn't hearing me. And so what did Larry do? He went down and got mom. This is her 15-minute claim to fame for me. Got out of bed. I remember us sitting on the couch. And she said, go ahead, say it again. And I did. And then she prayed. And I knew he listened to her. And so... That prayer, that realization that Jesus loved me, that assurance that I would be with my mom one day, actually, from nine on, changed the trajectory of my life. And so if you were to say, well, who are you, Jake, or what do you do? Uh, I have to talk about my relationship with Jesus, and how it has transformed my life, even though my life hasn't always reflected it. And so this morning, um, when Al asked me if I could fill in for him while he's down in Dallas, and he told me, I want you to preach a Mother's Day sermon, I went, okay. And I promise not to bore you with too many stories of mom. But rather, I want us to go to the book that gives us life, and I want us to ask the question, uh, what would be a good thing to do on Mother's Day? And one of the Ten Commandments is going to speak to us today. It's the fifth commandment. And I don't know if you have them all memorized. I have to admit, I don't. But it's the fifth. The first four talk about how to express your love to God. And the last six talk about how you're going to express your love to people. And number five is this. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So when the commandments shift from how to love God to how to love people, it starts with mom and dad. I wonder if there's some significance to that. I'm, I, I'm reading into it. I don't know. But I could guess that maybe, maybe they're the hardest people in one way to honor or to love. It's interesting. I found through life that the people closest to us have the greatest ability to hurt us and thereby make them the hardest to love because we know them so well. 
and so intimately. Whatever the reason, I want us to look at that one commandment. Honor your father and mother and reduce it to this. Honor your mother. And I want you to hear what God's word would suggest would be appropriate ways to honor your mother. And I want us to listen and apply what we hear, not just to today, when we set aside a day to honor moms, but moving forward. So let's see. Let's see what I got up my sleeve. I asked the question, how can I honor mother? And the first one is for the children. Her children obey her. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the first reason. This is right. Secondly, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So what Paul does here is he offers an interpretation of that fifth commandment for us to review here today. And and, and basically he's saying, kids, there are personal benefits to obeying your mom. First of all, things will turn out better if you actually listen and comply with mom's directives. And secondly, you'll live longer if you obey. Now, here's what I think I know about kids, even though I'm an old geezer. Here's what I think I know. That living longer kind of is, ah, you're going to live forever anyway. That's how kids think. You got to be my age before you start thinking, ooh, man, the crowd's thinning out here a little bit. See? So that may not be, from a sales perspective, the best way to convince kids that they should obey their mother. But uh, he does declare that it will go well with you. Now here's that problem. When I read it will go well with you, and when a teenager reads when it will go well with you, our definition of well are two very different things. You know why? Because when your hair grays or gets colored, uh, you've experienced a lot of life. And you've learned a couple of tough lessons along the way. We call it the school of hard knocks. And I'm going to suggest, kids, that your mom has been down some roads that she would love to save you from heading down. And that could be Why, when she says, I don't want you hanging out with this particular guy, she may have a story of her own she wants to protect you from. Or when she says, clean up your room, it may be that she's learned something about discipline and how it will serve you later in life, or conversely, how the lack of discipline can lead to a more painful reality. I have a story. Soon after that furnace basement experience, within a few years, uh, we lived in a one and a half story house. You know what that means? It means one story and it was small. Uh, One story has got regular walls and the upstairs has got the slanted ceiling like this, okay? No dormers, just a slanted ceiling. There were four of us boys, and that was the boys' bedroom. So there were two single beds and a double bed that came out for one side. 
There were always fights in the double bed, always, that had to be dealt with. And it was like a boy's dorm room. It was pretty pathetic. Mother had long given up trying to monitor the boy's room every day. So she found what seemed to be a reasonable compromise in her way of thinking that every Saturday morning before we got engaged in whatever it is we were going to be doing for the day, she would insist that we make our beds, that we take the dirty clothes and throw them in the basement for the laundry, and that we would get the dust bunnies mopped up underneath the bed. And she had to inspect it. Sound reasonable? Every Saturday. That's what we do. Get it inspected, you're free to go. Well, this particular Saturday, I remember the crunch of leaves under our feet. It was in the fall, it was a crisp day, and we, as boys, had football on our minds. And so, the neighborhood kids had gathered, and we were playing tag football, tackle football, whatever it was that particular day, when my mother, who was making cinnamon rolls in the kitchen, uh, got to thinking, I didn't do my inspection. And when she went upstairs and inspected, the only one who was really a mess was me. So she marched to the front door, and she said, in front of my friends, Larry Jacobs, get in here. And in my growing sense of independence and machoism, because I had a lot at stake here in front of my friends, I flashed my mother the bird. (laughs) Made perfect sense to me. So, body did not hesitate. She did not pause. She marched directly out in the middle of my friends. She grabbed my earlobe, lifted me to my tiptoes, and brought me inside. And instead of bringing me to the room, she brought me to the kitchen and she said, sit down. I think because she needed some time to come up with what she was going to do next. She's kneading the dough. She's making these cinnamon rolls. And I'm thinking, this isn't normal. I don't, because mm, we, we believed in discipline in our house. And it usually involved a belt. I'm thinking, oh, wow. Well, what's going on here? Pretty soon, out of nowhere, my mom says, do you know where that high chair is downstairs in the storage area? <clears throat> I said, the old wooden one. Yeah. I mean, we hadn't used it for years, like maybe a decade. Uh, yeah. Go get it. What for? Go get it. Go downstairs. I get, it's buried. I get it unburied. I bring it upstairs. It's got one of those little clippy wooden boards in front. I bring it upstairs. I set it in the kitchen, and she says, all right, I want you to clean it. Well, what do boys know about cleaning? Anyway, I'm dusting it off, getting the cobwebs off or whatever, and I get it all clean. And she says, now, sit in it. What? Sit in it. So I sit in it. She takes a break, and she snaps me in with a little tray. And she said, well, since you think I'm worthy of the bird, I want you to give it to me again. What? Give it to me! Higher! What? Higher! Higher than that! 
she has me fully extended with my middle finger in the air, and she says, keep it there. And she goes back to making cinnamon rolls. And you know what happens to your arm when you hold it as far over your head as you can? Oh. Well, first of all, all of this is like, no, beat me. Don't do this. Keep it up there. And it would start to say, get it higher. I'm holding it with my arm. Meanwhile, my friends are playing football. And she had me do that until the cinnamon rolls were in the oven. I love that story. You know why? A couple of things are going on there. First of all, mom knew I lacked discipline. That was the first thing. I decided to play before work, and I lacked discipline, and she wanted to speak that portion into my life. But perhaps even more importantly, you know how she figured it out? And of course, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out, but she was going to address it. I lacked respect. I did not honor her. And she wasn't casual about that. That was an issue of grave concern. It's pretty interesting that maybe that should be an issue that continues today to be a grave concern. I stumbled across uh, actually a YouTube video this previous week as I was working on this sermon by a guy named Dennis Prager, or Prager, one of the two. And he was referring to this commandment, and I found it interesting because, you see, what the Apostle Paul does is he takes this commandment and he applies it to us personally. He says, children, obey your parents because then you will have a longer life and things will go well for you. That's a personal application. But Mr. Prager is suggesting that this should have a corporate in its original setting when Moses went up the mountain and met with God and God chiseled ten commandments into a rock, into stone. It had a corporate setting. Well, what's the difference, you say? Well, here's the difference. The corporate mindset, if you read it, you might, listen to what he says. While it may be regarded as a reward, this idea that you may live long in the land your God is giving you, it may be regarded as a reward. The fact remains that it is a reason. If you build a society in which children honor their parents, your society will long survive. And the corollary is, a society in which children do not honor their parents is doomed to self-destruction. Would you agree with that? Does that kind of make sense? It really caught me. And I suppose part of it is because I am 61. And I look at life differently than I did when I was 21. And the observations that I see, the changes that I've observed in my lifetime, are startling. And the idea that respect of authority begins in the home, and when that erodes, that's a grassroots level, well, then where will it be taught? Where will our children learn these? He continues, in our time, 
This connection between honoring parents and maintaining civilization is not widely recognized. On the contrary, many of the best educated parents do not believe that their children need to show them honor since honoring implies an authority figure and that, and that is a status many modern parents don't want anything to do with. In addition, many parents seek to be loved, not honored by their children. That's both the parents' responsibility. But when I look back over my shoulder, I can see what my mom was up to. Makes sense. <clears throat> Billy Graham, in his latest book, Nearing Home, has kind of a cute quote. I wanted to hear it because it's got all this rhyming stuff in it. We are living in a time when God is being humanized, genders are being neutralized, marriage is being ostracized, and as a result, children are being victimized. The family is being trivialized. Family fathers are being demonized. Mothers are being marginalized. Roles are being disenfranchised. And God's order is being vandalized. I'll just end this section with this idea. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that respect is something that needs to be earned. But at the same time, it's something that needs to be insisted on. Food for thought. How do we balance those two? And I would suggest that if you are going to insist on it and earn it, it points back to the integrity of the one trying to get it. Enough on that. The second suggestion I have on how we can honor our mom is for the husbands. Her husband serves her. Paul again in Ephesians says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he continues later in that passage, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Oh, how about that? He who loves his wife loves himself. Listen carefully to this statement. See if you agree with me. I'm convinced that when God designed the concept of marriage and family, one of his objectives was to provide a daily opportunity for all involved to put someone else first in their life other than themselves. Put someone else other than themselves first. That would be a working definition of what it means to be a Christ follower, I think. Know why? Uh, Jesus, the religious elite asking him, uh, what would you say is the greatest commandment? He calmly answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second one's pretty important too. What's that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, the first neighbor I want you to pay attention to is your wife. Here's how I think it goes. We all have our individual agendas, but we're living under one roof. 
And so if we have a mom whose primary agenda is working with the kids, uh, the best thing she can do is take a week and go somewhere and let dad experience that. That's the best thing she can do, and that'll clear up a few misunderstandings right out of the get-go. Because if she does that, what you're going to learn is it is exhausting work. And I would suggest more exhausting than a blue-collar job for a guy, or a white-collar, but even a manual job, more exhausting. And so we have these two people who convene under one roof, and basically their batteries are running empty. They're exhausted. And what they're both looking for at the end of the day is some relief, one way or the other. That is critical to the future success of your marriage and family. Because if you do what Jesus just suggested, go the extra mile and put someone else's interest in front of your own, it goes right back to the the beginning of this passage in Ephesians 5 where he starts this whole paragraph about wives submit to your husbands and husbands you should love your wife like Christ loves the church. You know what the first statement is? Submit to one another. So if we have two people going the extra mile to help each other, that might be a recipe for success. If we're in it for what we can take from it, someone's going to throw in the towel. So I've counseled many couples uh, for premarital counseling through the years. It's interesting. I use a tool called Prepare Equip, and it's basically 150 questions. Everybody fills in the dot. You know, I agree, disagree, whatever, like that. And then they send me a report. And and so a lot of times we have these uh, starry-eyed couples that are just so gaga in love. Uh, (laughs) So then I say, well, uh, this particular statement says you think the woman should uh, do the laundry. And you strongly agreed, and she strongly disagreed. Why don't the two of you talk about that? It's interesting. And here's what I've learned. There's a lot of misconceptions when two people get together, and they're far different than the way, say, Shirley and I have worked it out. We're really traditional. I do the, don't get mad at me, the manly outside stuff, and she does all the domestic inside stuff. It works for us. We share the duties, and then we share the kids. And it works for us. That's the key, that you communicate and know what works. But again, uh, (laughs) it boils down to do it and then some more. Whatever your responsibilities are, and then do some more. And uh, I think it's a recipe for making it work. Now, what about you who are single moms? dad's not part of the picture for whatever reason doesn't matter here's my word to everyone in the room who's not a single mom observe seek them out they could use a helping hand I have a big heart for single moms I'll just tell you a quick story here uh Two Januaries ago, 
uh, I had a life group that was meeting, that Shirley and I put together. It was meeting at, at our house twice a month. You know, we do what life groups do, or small groups. We'd find a book and read a chapter and talk about it. I call it pontificating. You know what we ended up doing? I was getting frustrated. We were basically rehearsing what we already knew. So, a year ago last January, I, uh, we finished a book, and everybody's wondering, well, well, leader, what are we going to do for the next book? I said, we're not doing a book anymore. In fact, here's the deal. I am tired of rehearsing what we already know. I want us to be a group that actually gets our hands dirty and helps people. So here's your assignment. We all have places that we interact with, and it could be work, it could be whatever, shopping, it could be school, whatever. I, I want you to keep your radar out for people who could use a helping hand. And actually, uh, through my connection with Pastor Al, we learned of a gal who had recently relocated to our area, who was in the middle of a divorce. She had four kids under the age of, I think, seven. Can you imagine? Maybe might be your story. I can't tell you how it has blessed both our group and her that we could just shoulder some of the stuff that was in front of her. She moved into a house. We installed ceiling fans. We helped with cupboards. We did landscaping. We moved in swings. We just got involved made a difference. And so if you're a single mom, I'm hoping and praying that someone in this fellowship will take notice. And it wouldn't hurt if you cleared your throat so they see you. And let's get some people together to make a difference for single moms. Thirdly, if we want to honor mom, this is to kids and husbands, we're going to learn to forgive her. That seemed funny. You know, we're always talking about how wonderful moms are on Mother's Day. But here's what I know. There are no perfect moms here today, nor have there ever been. Jesus said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And in case you're in denial this morning, 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here, just really simple. We all need grace. We all need grace. And so if you're going to err, I encourage you to err on the side of grace. Forgive. Make room. Isaiah 43, God speaking, he said, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. This verse is uh, caught my attention years ago. I'm thinking, if God knows everything, how can he forget something? But here's what I've come to appreciate and learn about that verse. You know what it means? It means that God is agreeing because of Jesus and 
his atoning death for your sin, he agrees not to remember them and hold them against you. That's what he means. He can't forget it, but he's not going to hold them against you. And in case you're curious, if you want to know whether you have forgiven mom, one evidence, one sure sign that you have done that is you would not ever throw whatever the offense was in front of her face again. Two days ago, uh, I was doing a late night run to Walmart. And when I go to Walmart, uh, you'll never see me leaning on a cart. I'm like Mr. Brisk. I'm on my way. I'm going to conquer. I'm going to get the heck out of here. <laughs> so I go into Walmart. I hang a left at the Newcastle Walmart. And I see someone that I know from our community, a mother. And I cheerfully say hello thinking that'll be good and be on my way and she gives me uh, like a finger up and she says oh hi and I at least was intuitive enough to know something was amiss and I said how you doing and she burst out bawling pharmaceutical area of Walmart I'm a terrible mother. I know this woman. Terrible mother is like a foreign language to describe her. No, what? I'm a terrible mother. I learned the story that her kids had been with grand, grandpa and grandma, and they behaved badly, and grandpa and grandma were complaining about it, and she's feeling horrible about it. I said, just so you know, grandpas and grandmas, let your kids, your kids are going to go as far as the boundaries set for them will let them go. That's what kids do. So it might be more on grandpa and grandma than it is you, because I think your kids are very well behaved. Again, this idea that we're hard on ourselves and we can use a little affirmation and forgiveness. Finally, her family thanks her. That's how you honor mom. Proverbs 31 says, Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. You, you're probably learning that when I write sermons, they all kind of emerge the week before. They just, it percolates all week. And, uh, I used to write them at 4.30 on Sunday morning. <laughs> I just didn't want to miss a story that might emerge. This past week... Um, uh, surely my wife receives a call every day from our daughter, Amanda, who uh, is married to Brian, and they have two beautiful grandkids. And now that we're in 2015, we can actually FaceTime when we talk. So, phone rings, it's FaceTime. I'm in a rush to get out the door to go to work. It's our daughter, Amanda, who sounds sick, and who we know, the kids have been sick, and she's calling mom for a little moral support. And it, it caught me. I, I actually paused. I listened to the conversation. And Mandy was sounding a little desperate and, uh, at her rope's end. It's just interesting to see how her mom interacted with her. 
very encouraging. And so later that day on Facebook, my daughter posted a blog entitled, I Finally See You, Mom, from the Scary Mommy blog. I don't know anything about scary mommies. I want to read part of it to you. I wanted Shirley to read it. She refused. I wanted Mandy to read it. She refused. So you're going to hear me read it. This is what she posts as a tribute to Shirley. I called you to come over today because I felt overwhelmed. I didn't hesitate to say yes. You didn't hesitate to say yes. You'd be down as soon as your load of clothes and the wash was finished. And you came for lunch with me and the boys. And just your presence put me at ease and I could breathe again. Why does everything feel so safe when you're around? I'm 31 and still want to go running to you sometimes. You always know what to say to me to make everything feel better. You're the only one who hears everything I don't say and sees everything I try to hide. I feel like I'm finally here standing in your shoes. During the hardest of moments, I realize this is what you did for me. Some days, I feel like no one hears me, no one sees me. At times, I feel like I give and give, and I'm called upon to give even more. And it goes unnoticed. The house is still messy, the sink is full again, the bathroom floor is covered with water and wet towels, and I can't even remember myself what I got done during the day. Sometimes I feel like you're the only one who sees what I do. You're the only one who understands how much of myself I'm giving and how much I'm loving. During the most sacrificing of moments, I realize how much you still sacrifice for me. All day, I listen to everyone else's stories, their exciting news and achievements. I look at Lego castles, at jumps off the steps, at karate kicks in the air. I watch trees climbed and slides scaled the wrong way. I'm asked to watch and listen to what everyone else does, and after everyone is in bed, I have a sliver of time to remember me. Sometimes I feel like I do the same thing to you. I call you and I can't get the words out fast enough. All the things I want you to hear about my life. You're the only one who listens attentively to my every word and feels excited for me like no one else does. Or at least you do a dang good job of making me feel that way. And when we hang up the phone, I so often realize I never asked how you're doing. You are my safe place. You mother me even when I don't know it. You make me feel so special, so heard. And I never appreciated it until this time in my life when I come last so often until I realized how it feels to be on the other side, to be the safe place for someone else. Almost done. I used to think I had stopped needing you for a long time ago, that I was blazing new paths that you never took. And you let me believe that, yet all the while you've been following along on the side, just out of sight, always there to help me get back up when I've fallen, just like you've done since I was a little girl. Thank you doesn't even come close to expressing how I feel. But I just want you to know, I see you now. I see you all day long, in my darkest hours, 
And in my most blissful moments, looking into the faces of my children, I see what you sacrificed and how much you loved. I finally see you now. Pretty cool. That's what a thank you looks like. The old days when I'd put together a message, I would, uh, for the churches I served, I would literally take the names of people from every age group and write them. This is back before the computers were so readily available, and I'd write their names on the left margin. And when I got to the end of the sermon, I would, you know, what, what I thought I was going to say, I would say, now how does that apply to her or to him, to this elderly couple or to this teenager? And if it didn't apply, I had to go back and rewrite it. That's how I used to do it. That's what I did for this sermon. And the one thing that I kept thinking about, the one group of people that I have yet to acknowledge and I'm going to write now as a conclusion is this. What about those of you who are hearing this lofty sermon about honoring moms? And your question to me is, how can I honor my mom? It's as real as the day is long. For whatever the issues are, whatever the reason is. The idea of obeying and serving and forgiving and thanking just seemed like a foreign language. I close with this illustration. They say a lot of what we end up thinking God is like is based on what our dads are like. My dad was a hard worker. He valued work. He identified with his work. He used to say, I'm the best motor grader operator Nobles County has ever seen. He ran a road grader. He also evaluated his four sons by how hard they worked. And so we, the boys, developed a work ethic and a mindset Ready? This was the mindset all of us had. I am what I do. Consequently, I tend to evaluate other people the same way. So if I have a prejudice, you know what it's all about? People I deem to be lazy. Without knowing a thing about them, if they appear lazy, I struggle. Now think about it, it's simply because I cut my teeth and learned that you are what you do. You are what you do. God's working on that in me. But I think God thinks differently than my dad and me. I think he thinks more like my mom. Moms have this built-in intimacy with their kids that's somehow connected to their wombs. At those first signs of movement are felt, they are intimately aware that they are the life givers of this child. Their life is not lived for themselves anymore. A mom's focus is this new life emerging from within, 
blood of their blood, bone of their bone. Her focus during those infancy years is her baby, her beautiful and wonderful baby. Her decision to love this precious child is not based on her baby's performance. She loves her baby no matter what. And somehow, moms are incapable of thinking any other way as their kids grow up. It's called unconditional love. The ability to love based on who their kids are and not on what they do. (laughs) You say, well, yeah, that's not a picture of my mom. I get it, but it is a picture of God. It's a picture of Jesus. If you've given your life to Christ, have you given it some thought how utterly ridiculous it is that he gave his son to die for you. Unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. Jesus said the greatest command is to love your neighbor like yourself unconditionally. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I have it in me. I am going to suggest if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you may not have it in you. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the promised Holy Spirit resides in your heart and you do have it within you to do things that would blow our natural thinking minds. You do have an ability to love unconditionally. But what you have to focus on is the person and not what they've done. You have to focus on the person. And here's one thing we all can agree about our moms. She gave us life. And if that's the only hook you can hang your hat on, it's enough. And start to forge a new mindset as you move forward. Not only today, but in the future. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the opportunity to even reminisce in front of these folks about my own mom, but more importantly, how to honor all of our moms. Thank you for your word that instructs us. Thank you for the opportunity we all have to make a difference. Bless each one who's here. Use these words. Give them wings. Pass their ears to their hearts. I pray in Jesus' name.